Welcome to Lore Cult Daily. Each week, starting on Tuesday, we offer a series of daily short segments to help guide you through the world and lore of Destiny. And on the following Monday, we combine them into one episode, in case you missed any given day. With all the latest entries, ghost scans, and classic grimoire that Bungie's world has to offer. This is the best of show for the week of December 25th. Let's get started. Today's topic is going to be about a tale that originated before Lord Shax ran the Crucible, before the Fallen were pushed back at Twilight Gap. Today's topic will be of the Great Disaster, and of the great expeditions that came after. The Great Disaster was a monumental battle that took place on the moon at Mariambrum. Though not many details regarding the battle are known, we do know that the Hive forces, led by the demigod Crota, completely annihilated the Guardian forces on the moon. With thousands of guardians in the ranks, and legendary and powerful warriors like Wei Ning present, perhaps we were too confident in our relatively still new superpowers. Wei Ning, of the Pajari Wei Ratio, which is the amount of time a warlock spends planning a battle, versus the time a titan spends winning it. Her hugs were joked to give battle scars, and when asked what she'd do to the darkness itself, she responded, I'd punch it too. Perhaps it was due to guardians like Wei Ning being present that we are overconfident. Or perhaps we simply underestimated Crota and his hive. What we do know about the battle is that thousands of guardians, including Wei Ning, were lost. Some were killed by their own ghosts after being fashioned into a knife by Crota. This was the brutality of the defeat we faced at Crota's hands. Following the great disaster, Ariana III, a Praxic warlock, my kind of exo, and companion of Wei Ning, devoted herself to the utter destruction of Crota. When she and Eris Morn couldn't find help, they sought forbidden knowledge. They sought the exiled master of Hive Arcana. They sought Toland. Toland, the warlock who was exiled because of his deep obsessions with dark powers. He told them that Crota existed in another reality, a netherworld forged by his will. By passing through a keyhole between realities, navigating Crota's world mind, and overthrowing the ascendant champions gathering at his throne, Crota could be defeated. Ariana III was determined to get revenge on Crota. She and Wei Ning were close. Recent lore entries would suggest they were more than just friends, and seeing her death did something to Ariana III. With revenge clouding her judgment, she made some questionable decisions. Following an exiled warlock who was obsessed with discovering the Killing Song into a dark catacomb beneath the moon to kill a hive demigod, definitely topped the list of questionable decision making. But still, Ariana began recruiting her team Omar Aga, Sai Mota, and Vel Tarlo, who, in addition to herself, Eris Morin, and Toland, made up the six members of the first Grota fire team. The fire team embarked on an expedition into the depths of the Hive Fortress on the moon, and it started out as well as you would imagine it would. Vel Tarlo, of the Pilgrim Guard Titan Order, was overrun and killed by Thrall led by Alakol, the Darkblade. 
Omar Aga's light was peeled from his broken body by the heart of Crota to nurture Crota's spawn. Saimota tried to fight her way out, using bones she had ripped from an acolyte's body, but was killed by Omnigol, the will of Crota. Ariana III went out as bright as she could, making sure she was the last light many of the hive saw. She put herself against Eryut, the Death Singer, as luminescent as the sun, but even Ariana's song was no match for the witch's killing song. Possibly the saddest part of all, hidden and lost within this dark tomb, was the young hunter, Eris Morn. Unable to help, all she could do was listen and watch as all her friends and fireteam perished in the Hellmouth. It was during this time lost that she took an acolyte's eye and forced it onto her head, though she doesn't remember how long she was lost before performing the operation. Years later, when we opened the doors to the catacombs, Eris returned to the tower with information on how to destroy Crota. Together with her knowledge and her discovery of Tolan's journal, while within the Hellmouth, we prepared for the Crota's end. But what of Toland? What of the master of Hive Arcana? In our first message from Toland, we learn of his fate. I am dead. Vel is spectacularly dead. Omar and Sai are quite dead, too. Ariana, poor Ariana. She was so very bright at the end, wasn't she? A brave light. But Crota was unmoved. That shadow is detached from its source. Light makes it darker. I could feel his presence, and if I still had a ghost, I am sure it would have screamed. I, too, am detached from my source. The charming Iryut made her introductions, and I was very pleased to meet her. We had a conversation. A little tatayut. A couple of old wizards exchanging definitions. I defined myself a friend. She defined for me the quiddity of death. And she sang the song of that fearful autonomy. Revelation, my friends, it does go down hard. The definition killed me. The killing redefined me. This is the shape and the point of the tooth. Nothing has ever lived that will not die. Now I fly between green-black suns in the labyrinth beyond Crota's god star. This is the overworld, the Sea of Screams, where the throne universes of the Great Hive fester in eternal majesty. I move among them. I map the shapes and connections of this world. I want to appear in the tower and taunt them. Lo, lo, I never sleep. I dance in light and shadow. I never sleep. I will never die. I will never die. I want to ask them, if you followed your laws here, to this trembling, fearful place. Of what use were those laws? But I have work to do. I shout into deep places, Osiris, I call. Osiris, Osiris, can you hear me? Sometimes I think he answers. Sometimes I wonder what became of Eris. She was very tenacious. For the first time, I am lonely. He's lost his ghost, seemingly lost his light. I think we can safely say he's no longer a guardian, but what he is now, we still don't fully know. He has been detached from his body, and I can only hope discovering the Killing Song was as great as he'd always hoped it would be. We're told that he maps the shapes and connections in the overworld, beyond Crota's netherworld. We do get other messages from Toland, primarily centered around our encounter with Crota's father, Oryx, but those will be for another topic. Until next time, good luck. Do let me know if a vacancy opens. Today's ghost scan is from the spine burrows of Io, an old Vex gate sticking out of the ground. 
someone's carved something here. It says, Oh, let time not deceive you. You cannot conquer time. Huh. The carved words are actually a quote from a poem, As I Walked Out One Evening, by W. H. Auden, who was born in England in 1907. The poem covers the themes of love, time, and death. It begins with the narrator taking an evening walk down a busy street. He overhears a lover professing his love, expressing in multiple ways that he, the lover, will love until the oceans dry up and the stars burn out. The narrator then begins to hear the voice of the clocks in the city. In contrast to the lover's proclamations, the clocks chime out the inescapability of time, aging, and death. When the clocks finish their speaking, the lovers are gone, the narrator is left alone, and the deep dark river of time runs on. As I walked out one evening. As I walked out one evening, walking down Bristol Street, the crowds upon the pavement were fields of harvest wheat. And down by the brimming river, I heard a lover sing, under an arch of the railway, love has no ending. I'll love you, dear, I'll love you, till China and Africa meet. And the river jumps over the mountain, and the salmon sing in the street. I'll love you till the ocean is folded and hung up dry, and the seven stars go squawking like geese about the sky. The years shall run like rabbits, for in my arms I hold the flower of the ages and the first love of the world. But all the clocks in the city began to whir and chime. Oh, let not time deceive you, you cannot conquer time. In the burrows of the nightmare, where justice naked is, time watches from the shadow and coughs when you would kiss. In headaches and in worry, vaguely life leaks away, and time will have his fancy, tomorrow or today. Into many a green valley drifts the appalling snow. Time breaks the threaded dances and the diver's brilliant bow. Oh, plunge your hands in water. Plunge them in up to the wrist. Stare, stare in the basin, and wonder what you've missed. The glacier knocks in the cupboard, the desert sighs in the bed, and the crack in the teacup opens a lane to the land of the dead. Where the beggars raffle the banknotes, and the giant is enchanting to Jack, and the lily-white boy is a roarer, and Jill goes down on her back. Oh, look, look in the mirror. Oh, look in your distress. Life remains a blessing, although you cannot bless. Oh, stand, stand at the window, as the tears scald and start. You shall love your crooked neighbor with your crooked heart. It was late, late in the evening. The lovers, they were gone. The clocks had ceased their chiming, and the deep river ran on. <laughs>